So who is Jesus? We, uh, we've been answering that question each week as we have been looking through the eyes of some of the first followers of Christ, looking through the eyes of people who have encountered Christ in, in uh, unique situations and uh, allowing a picture of Christ to develop for us. And uh, each week as we, as we do that, uh, we, we find it that Christ is just so... Uh, it's so relevant to who we are. He, he walked in circles. He, he touched people and, and met needs, needs that we have. Uh, in situations, much like last week, we looked through the eyes of Pilate and found a guy who was having the squeeze put on him. He was caught between two people. He was, uh, he was really uh, squirming. And yet Christ is in, in this place where he is facing death. He's going to go to a cross, yet he never opens his mouth and defends himself. He's not squirming. He is at perfect rest in the midst of turmoil. And maybe this last week you found your, yourself in a place where life was getting a little bit scary and anxiety was rising and worry was building. And, uh, and it's comforting to know that, that we can walk with Christ, that he is our Christ, that when we're in turmoil, he's there with us. And uh, it's, just, it's just encouraging to, to, to learn about Christ and know this same Christ lives within us. He indwells us with his presence. And uh, each week we're looking at these, uh, these encounters, imagining, if you will, these, these 24 stories as we go through this series, this Bible study series. 24 stories and imagining the, this host of people, getting them some time uh, up here on a stool and talking to us and painting for us a picture of who Christ is. And just to letting that picture uh, uh, be developed for us and learning who our Christ, who our Jesus is. We're going to do that again, looking at a story of, a, of, of someone who's known as the thief on the cross. We don't have his name, but uh, two criminals that were crucified with Jesus. Looking at this story of the thief on the cross and looking from Luke's perspective in Luke's gospel, chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 23. Uh, as you're making your, your, your way there... Uh, you, you are, I know you know that actions have consequences, that, you know, some, some actions have good consequences, some actions have bad consequences. I have a friend named Tim, he's a pastor in Olympia, Washington, and uh, Tim and I, uh, we were, uh, well, we're both pastors, and we were in grad school together, and uh, there was a, a, a three or four years where um, we would go down to Simpson College in uh, Simpson University in Redding, California, and uh, go to grad school, and we'd finish preaching on a weekend, and Tim would drive his truck down, pick me up, and, uh, and we'd drive down to, to Reading and go through classes Monday through Friday, uh, get done in the afternoon on Friday, drive back home and preach the next uh, weekend in our church, and thankfully we only do that about three or four times a year. Uh, and, but Tim loves to drive, and so I would always sit in the passenger seat, and he's also a bit of a lead foot. In fact, I've never met anyone who has been pulled over more times by the police than Tim. And neither have I met anyone who's been pulled over so many times and, and yet rarely gets a ticket. Rarely gets a ticket. He has this, this, this spiel where when he gets pulled over and the officer walks up to the window and says, Sir, do you know how fast you were going? And then the officer, you know, breaks the news. This is how fast you were going. Uh, Tim would then say, I am so sorry. You are absolutely right. I was speeding. And, and, Officer, I'm a pastor. And, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, really? You play the pastor card? Uh, and, and then he, I'm, I'm going back home, or I'm going here. I'm going to see somebody. And, 
Uh, I'm wondering, could you just show a little compassion today and would you be able to let, let me off? And it works. He, he doesn't get a ticket. Um, I don't get pulled over that often, but one time I was headed to one of my, one of my son's football games in Redmond and uh, was with my dad. We're driving and I was speeding. I got pulled over and as the officer's coming up to the, to the, to the window, I said, I'm just going to be completely honest like my friend Tim. Uh, <laughs> officer, you are absolutely correct. I was speeding. And he says, okay, thank you. Walks back to his, his car, comes back, writes, gives me a ticket. And I'm like, really? I, was, I mean, I was repentant. I admitted my guilt, and I still got a ticket. My friend Tim gets away with it. Just one trip, we're going down to, to school. We're taking uh, classes. Uh, on the way back, we got pulled over four times. Uh, Oh, that's nothing. Really, really, it's nothing. <laughs> we're, we're four times, like a mile marker, like 300 and something, and a mile marker, 200 and 100, and uh, three times, every, those first three times, every time, Tim's like, officer, I am so sorry. I'm a pastor, and I'm headed home after a week of school, and, and he, would, he would get off, and I would just shake my head, and the like, pastor would going, Unbelievable. We, literally, we are within sight of our exit. We're about a half a mile from where we're going to get off the freeway. Uh, and Tim is doing 85 and a 70. And I just said to him, dude, you're going to get pulled over again. And he's like, no, 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 we're almost there. And sure enough, the, you see the lights in the rearview mirror. And Tim's like, oh, I can't believe it. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, well, I can. I can believe it. <laughs> and we get pulled over. And the officer walks up to the car and says, you know, Mr. Heffer, license, you know, license and registration, insurance. And he walks back to his car. He comes up. You know, the whole spiel, you know how fast you're going. Officer... You are absolutely right. I was speeding. Is there any way, I'm a pastor and I'm trying to get home. Is there any way that you could show me some, some kindness and some compassion? And the officer says very sternly, Mr. Heifer, you were pulled over at mile marker 357. You were pulled over at mile marker 232 and you were pulled over at mile marker 125. After all you have done today, you are going to get a ticket. And his face just went white because he's got some insurance problems uh, with, with, with all this, you know. He's trying, how am I going to break the news to my wife? And, I, you know, it's like, I can't believe it. Uh, well, I, I can't. But actions have consequences, right? If you speed, you might get away with it every once in a while, but you're, you're going to get caught. Uh, kids, if you're in school and you don't do your homework, you're not going to get a good grade. Uh, and, and if you don't pay your water bill, the, the city's going to shut off your water. Actions have consequences. That's no surprise. The Bible has a principle for this. It's called you reap what you sow, right? You, you plant a seed, that plant is going to that seed's going to germinate, and, and you're going to reap what you sow. We're going to look at a story, and where we're a, we're a guy, a criminal, uh, this guy has. Have, after all he has done, he is going to pay for his crimes. And we're going to play detective a little bit and look at what those crimes could have been. Uh, we, we don't know for sure, but there's some hints as to what those crimes were. And we're going to look after all he has done. He's been arrested, he's been convicted, and now he's paying the price with his life. He's, he's going to be crucified on the same day that Christ is crucified. And after all he's done, what Jesus says to him, frankly, is surprising. Because after all he's done, Jesus is going to say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. How do you go from being criminal to Jesus saying, you and I are going to be together forever? We're going to 
answer that question as we look at this story. So stand with me, get your Bibles, turn to page 1046 in your, your pew Bibles, if you didn't bring one with you. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 32 this, uh, this story. The context is the crucifixion of Christ. I'll read in verse 32 and finish in verse 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are... We, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. So let's play detective a little bit and try and discover what this man's crimes are. Uh, this, this particular story is found in several Gospels. Luke, when he talks about a criminal, in the original language, uses a word that's pretty generic. Uh, the word means criminal, evildoer. Um, but the last part of this word, it gives you a little bit of a hint. It's, it's someone who commits gross misdeeds or serious crimes. We're not talking about somebody who, uh, you know, just stole candy from a candy store. We're talking about someone who, who committed a crime. It, it classifies as a gross misdeed. It's a crime that is serious. It's a, it's a generic label that, that Luke uses. Matthew and Mark use a different word to talk about this criminal, and that word means robber, highwayman, or bandit, which kind of gives you a little bit more of an understanding of what this man's crimes may have been. A robber, highwayman, bandit. It, maybe this, this, this man, these, these two thieves, were the kind of people that would, would prey on lonely travelers in, uh, in the, the Palestinian trails or roads that went through, uh, went through Israel. Uh, you remember the story in Luke chapter 10 when uh, the, the religious leaders walk up, teachers of the law walk up to Jesus and say, you know, what's, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus answers and and one of the, the, the lawyers says, you know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan, right? He, he tells a story because he's going to tell them who their, who their neighbor is. So he takes a, a real-life situation and creates a story in Luke chapter 10. And uh, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. That's this word, this robbers. This man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was traveling on this road. He fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It could be. We don't know for certain, but the choice of word that Matthew and Mark use and the hint we get from Luke is that it could be that this, these two thieves 
were the kind of, of, of thugs, the kind of crooks that would hide up in the hillside, the Judean hillside, and as lonely travelers were making their way from village to village, they would sweep down out of the hillside, they would ambush these travelers, they would, uh, they would rob them, mug them, they'd beat them. Maybe some people lost their lives at the hands of these robbers as they were left for dead. Uh, and this could have happened many, many times before they were eventually caught. And we know they were eventually caught because they're being crucified with Christ. So the, these two guys are, maybe they've been getting away with it all these times. They've been getting away with it, and maybe a sting was set up. Maybe, uh, maybe some Roman soldiers saw from a distance who these, these two criminals were, and, and they were caught. And, and the people who traveled that road probably rejoiced. And when they saw the, the news that night, and they read their paper and saw the picture of these two guys, yep, that's the guys, that's the ones who mugged us. Uh, and, and these are the two criminals, perhaps, that are now being crucified with Jesus. They've been caught, and after all they have done, they are going to pay for their crimes, their, their gross misdeeds, their serious crimes, they're going to pay for it with their, their very lives. Luke tells us in chapter 23 that Jesus is being crucified, and while he is on his cross, there is a, a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left, these two highway bandits that are being crucified with Christ. And at the scene of the crucifixion, you have some, some trash talking, some smack talking that is, is going on. People are taking their pot shots at Jesus and sort of in a, in a in literary style, Luke is doing is he's, he's showing us from the, the religious establishment's uh, point of view what this trash talking and this mocking sounded like. You get it from the Roman uh, side of things. And then, of all things, you get it from one of the criminals. Because from his perspective, death is the great equalizer. Well, you thought you were somebody, but, but now you're dying. And, and to him, the de death is the, the great equalizer. Equalizer and the trash talking smart uh, starts with these uh, these religious uh, rulers and leaders and they begin saying to Jesus, He saved others. Think about some of the stories that we've looked at. He saved others. He healed the woman who was bleeding. He raised the dead. He fed thousands. He saved others. Let him save himself if. He is the Christ of God, the chosen one. We've heard all the stories. We've seen all, all, all the stories. But if he really is who he says he is, if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God, let him save himself. The Roman soldiers pick it up from there because uh, they start taunting Jesus and say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're a, you're a king, you've got some power. You've got some authority. Save yourself. And then we have one of the two criminals who's dying. He's hours away from taking his last breath. And he jumps in on the, the trash talking and he says, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Religious rulers, if you are who you say you are, save yourself. Roman soldiers, if you're the king of the Jews, rescue yourself. The criminal, save yourself and us. Aren't you the Christ? And yet there's this, this other criminal who's surrounded by all this mocking, all this taunting and ridicule. And his response, which is merely 39 words, 
depending on what translation you use, his response of 39 words will change the trajectory of his life. In just minutes, 39 words will, will change the course of his life. After all he's done, after all the, the crimes that he's committed, after all the horror he has cost, perhaps lives that have been lost, after all he's done in 39 words, the trajectory of his life will change. So let's look at what he has said and find out how that happened because at the end of it, Jesus is gonna say, you're gonna be with me in paradise, a thief in paradise. First observation is just to, to look at this, this one criminal and know that he doesn't get sucked into all the smack talk and trash talk. As everyone is saying, if you, if you are who you say you are, if you're the Christ, uh, save yourself, rescue yourself. I mean, come on, let's see if you're really who you say you are. And in our own culture, it's so easy to get sucked into the trash talking of God, the smack talking of God as we, we you know, what, if there is a God, then why did he let that happen? If there is a God, then why earthquakes? If there is a God, why tsunamis? If there is a God, why, why did my wife die? If there is a God, then, then what about my kids? What about my, my mom, my dad? And it's not that it's wrong to ask the why questions. That's actually a very healthy thing to do. It's when it comes from a heart of literally the word that the, the criminal, the word insult is the word blaspheme. When it comes from a devaluing and a demeaning of God, then you've, you've crossed the line and it's turned to mocking God. But this other criminal doesn't get sucked into all that. In fact, his response to his friend, his partner in crime, is he rebukes him and says, don't you fear God? I mean, think about it. You're, you're on a cross. You're hours away from, from dying. What are you thinking about? Well, this particular criminal is thinking about the fact that he will stand before God, and there is a healthy fear of God. There's a healthy understanding of the reality of a God, and he knows that after all he's done, he's getting what he deserved, and, and he has a fear of God, yet his partnering crime over here apparently does it because he's taking pot shots at Christ. And he simply says to his buddy, look, don't you fear God? And then he goes on to say, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He, he admits he's done wrong. He's hanging on that cross and he knows exactly that, that his deeds have caught up with him. Actions have consequences. After all he's done, yes, he got away with it several times, but he got caught. He's hanging on this cross, and he's only getting what he deserves. He has done wrong. He done wrong. He accepts his punishment as what he deserves. It's just. And then he continues. He, uh, he acknowledges Christ's innocence. We're only getting what we deserve. We mug people. We beat people. We left them for dead. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. In fact, as he's done rebuking his friend over here, he then turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which means he acknowledges that Christ is a king, that he has a kingdom. And he comes to a simple place of asking for help. 
He's asking for, he doesn't get sucked into all the trash talking, the mocking, and the ridiculing of God. He fears God. He, he knows he's done wrong. He accepts his punishment. He recognizes the righteousness, the innocence of who Christ is, and that he is a king, and simply asks for help. In a matter of 39 words, after all he's done and all the crimes that he's committed, the trajectory of his life is going to change because Jesus will say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. It's a word used a few times in the New Testament. Another place is found is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is he's talking about someone that he knows that's had this vision where they've been caught up in, in, into paradise. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. And then John in the book of Revelation chapter 2 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Paradise. Heaven. It, the word paradise, is, it, it's a, it really has its roots in a Persian word that has a wonderful word picture to it. In the Persian language, paradise means, it means for a king to invite an undeserving subject to walk with him in his private garden. A king to invite an undeserving subject to walk with him in his private garden. Sound familiar? Like the book of Genesis? Like God walking with Adam in the cool of the day? Look, after all you've done, all the, all the muggings, all the beatings, all the, 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 the stuff you did where you, where you hurt people, you murdered people even, after all you've done, those crimes have caught up with you, you were caught, you were sentenced, and now you are getting what you deserve. But this man realizes it. He's not railing against God. He realizes that he's only getting what he deserves. He recognizes who Christ is. He asks for help, and Jesus says to him, Today, you will take a walk with me in my private garden. And the trajectory of this man's life is changed in a mere 39 words. This picture of the crucifixion of Christ, Christ in the middle, criminal on the right, criminal on the left, this picture is a picture of humanity, a picture of mankind of people who on one side of Christ rail against him, shaking the fist at him and saying, if you are really God then, if you're, if you're God then, then why? Save yourself, save, your, save us, save yourself. This, this criminal pictures Christ as the Christ who will, who will drive the getaway car. Jesus, do something miraculous, save yourself and us. Get us out of this mess. Drive the getaway car and save us from these circumstances we're in. Yet the other criminal is a picture of those who recognize that after all they've done, they stand guilty and helpless, getting what they deserve, and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, 
You've done nothing wrong. I've done wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And let me just simply ask you the question. Which person are you? Have you come to a point where you have said to Christ, I recognize who I am. All the shortcomings and the reality of those shortcomings and the punishment that is just. Do you remember when you said to Jesus, remember me? Or maybe you're here today and you've never let go of all the pride, all the defensiveness, the justifications, the rationalizing of what's happened in your life and sort of railing against God. Which person are you? It's a picture of humanity. And if you will simply come to a place of humility and realize and be honest with yourself that after all you've done, that he is the Christ who, who is willing and wants to say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. But who and how will you respond? I know many of you know the name Ted Haggard. Um, Ted Haggard was the president of the National Evangelical Association years ago. He was lead pastor of a 14,000 member church called New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, he was, you know, sort of famous in evangelical circles and respected, and all that came crumbling down when uh, the shadow side of his life was exposed. Uh, if you don't know the story, Haggard was uh, experimenting with methamphetamines. He was using drugs. And uh, it was discovered that he was also, for several years, seeing a male prostitute in Denver. Um, and, uh, and when that story broke, um, th there was even more sordid, dirty laundry that was hung out for the whole world to see of what was really going on in, in Ted Haggard's life. When situations like these come to light, there are obviously lots of people who get sucked into this, this mess, people that are close to Haggard, people like his wife and five kids. Um, uh, this, this particular story was one that uh, Gail Haggard, uh, she finds out on this day that the nation finds out that this is what her husband has been up to. And in, in her book that she's written called Why I Stayed, she describes those feelings when she found out as she was so angry, she felt so betrayed, she was revulsed at, at what he had engaged in, the activity he had engaged in. She was disgusted with her husband. In fact, uh, Ted Haggard would say to her on that day when the news was broken that you need to leave me, you, you have every right to leave me, I'm toxic, I will ruin you. And just, just leave me. Gail Haggard, in, in her book, Why I Stayed, um, talks about being at a crossroads on that very first day when the news was breaking about her husband. At a crossroads of, of whether she would stay or whether she would, in fact, divorce her husband. 
And in her book, um, she writes this, describing this, this crossroads. Will I be the woman who washes her hands of the situation and walks away from Ted? Or will I be the woman who loves him and shows forgiveness after all he's done? Let me just hit the pause button here for a second because um, I share this story not as a, a, a prescriptive way of how to handle situations. There are some situations where it's not safe to stay, okay? So, some of you in this room have been through some awful situations, perhaps there today. I share this story not as a prescriptive story of how to handle things. I share the story of a woman at a crossroads who's heard some horrible, disgusting news about her husband at a crossroads, and as she considers her decision about what to do, will I be the woman who loves him and shows forgiveness after all he's done? And she describes in her book that on that very first night, as she's still in the house with Ted Haggard, as they're still in the same bed that night, she says in her book, I turned to him and I slid into his arms. And as she's written the book, and as she shared her story on very popular shows and the U.S. media, it, each person interviewing says, how in the world could you stay with him? How in the world could you stay with this man who's lied to you, who's gone behind your back, has done all this, this awful, how, after all he has done, how could you? And her response is simply, love is powerful enough to erase a person's sins. Love is powerful enough to erase a person's sins. Even after all you've done. The problem for us is that we tend to minimize our sins. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't mug anybody. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal. I wasn't unfaithful. Yet the reality is, is when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, you hear Jesus say, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you have murdered. And suddenly, we all start to feel a little uncomfortable because we know that after all we've done to offend a holy God, we deserve punishment. And yet, in 39 words or less, the trajectory of your life can be changed. See, because we have a different cross up here on our platform, a cross that, that celebrates those who, a chance to celebrate those who, who, who have made the decision, like that criminal on that day, to say, Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm getting what I deserve. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I know you're innocent. I know you're righteous. I know you're a king. Remember me. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll, I'll just give you a little corner spot in the kingdom and you know, I'll, I'll be easy on you. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says to you, today, I guarantee it. Truly, truly, I say to you, today, whether you've got three minutes, three hours, three years, 30 years, 
You will be with me in paradise. You're going to walk with me in my private, my private garden. We're going to have conversation. You're my friend. If you'll only ask for help. And today could be a day where you could take a white ribbon, write your name on it, pound it in that cross as your statement of saying, Jesus, I want you to remember me. I'm leaving that old life after all I've done. I'm leaving that life. I'm turning to you, and I want to follow in your way. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a second. But as we end each one of these talks and we look through the eyes of these people who encounter Christ, we, we've been asking the question, so what's the picture of Jesus? I mean, if this, this thief on the cross steps out of the crowd of 24 and sits on the stool and, and we ask, tell us about Jesus. What would he say? I think he would say a lot. I think one of the things, one of the pictures that he would brush on the canvas for us the colors that he would throw up there would paint a picture that would say, he is the Christ who even after all you have done says to you, come be with me. Even after all the mistakes, all the tickets, <laughs> all the words that you regret, perhaps even the blows that you've given, all the failures you feel like you've committed in life. After all that stuff, he is the Christ who looks at you and says, I want you to be with me. That's why I went to the cross. He is the Jesus who after all you've done invites you to be with him and be his friend.